a morning so far in church. You better listen up to this message because Jeff has practically preached it in some of the slots when he was leading worship. So I think God, I don't think, I know God is saying something vital and something important to us. So you're ready to open your ears and your heart and hear what he's saying. Father God, I pray for the word. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's vital, it's active, it leads us, it guides us, it encourages us. It's powerful, it's truth. And I pray as I bring your word now, Father God, that you will take from these notes anything you don't want presented this morning and you will add in anything that you want added in. This is your message and I pray Holy Spirit breathe on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to tell you what the title of the message is and I don't want anybody switching off because they don't want to hear it, okay? My message this morning is die to self. Get rid of our flesh. We might not, it might not be a topic that we want to hear, but believe me, it is a positive and mighty powerful message. It's a key if you want to live kingdom life. You can't live for yourself and live for the kingdom. It doesn't work. So turn with me to Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. You know, it's interesting how many times the Lord brings me back to preach from this one scripture. So church is vital. We understand the truth that he is trying to bring to to us from this. Just a little bit of background, Um, Jesus is teaching a large crowd and um, again he is teaching to them in parables and for those of us who went to children's church we may have learnt that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's one of the things I remember from my Sunday school days. Um, And so one of the parables he preached at this time is the parable we call the parable of the sower. When the crowd had dispersed and the disciples were alone with Jesus, they asked him to explain the meaning behind the story. So pick it up in Mark chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus speaking. Don't you understand this parable? Oh, sorry, that's verse 13. How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a 100 times what was sown. 
what stands out for me in this passage is there is only one soil that is given credit to the works of the enemy for its lack of fruitfulness. The rest are the works of the flesh. The devil isn't an issue for God. God created him and God can smote him with one breath. So why doesn't he we all cry out? <coughs> I believe God has left him here to use him to get us to grow spiritual backbones, to learn to stand up and fight for the abundant life that is rightfully ours, to learn how to get our focus on God and not on the enemy and all his negative nonsense that we so easily get focused on and tangled up in. Let me give you an example. You know, I, I love to sit outside late at night, no lights on, just look at the night sky, the stars, beautiful. But what happens, soon as I get out there, in come the mosquitoes. And I could be distracted from the beauty of the sky by focusing on the mosquitoes. So what do I do? I give the mosquitoes a burst of bug off, and that truly is what it's called. And, um, and then I don't have to focus on them anymore. And I want to say about the enemy, <clears throat> and you know because of just what's happened to me, I 100% believe we have an enemy. I 100% we have to stand up and we have to fight because he is out to rob, kill and destroy from us. But I believe when he's attacking, instead of getting all focused and hooked in to what he is doing, give him a squirt of the repellent, the demon's repellent, and get into praise. Praise, praise God. That is a demon repellent. Let me clarify, I am not saying the enemy is powerless. I am not saying ignore him. I am not saying... We don't have to go into battle. He is our adversary, but that is not what I am preaching about this morning. I am preaching this morning about the issue of sin, the issue of our self-life. I believe, <coughs> for many believers, the main issue is not the devil, but it's our sin, it's our flesh. For many of us, our flesh is alive and well and struggling against the things of the spirit which is stopping us from living in the fullness of the resurrected life. And this gives the enemy a gateway into our lives, into our thoughts, which in turn brings us into temptation, negativity, constant bombardment of lies, etc., no weapon formed against us will prosper, but church, the weapons will be formed. <clears throat> Christianity is about living in the fullness of the resurrected life, Christ in me. Our focus is not the cross, but the resurrected life, but the cross must come before we can enter into, resurre into resurrection. You can't rise from the dead if you've never died. 
die to ourselves. In other words, lay down our life to take up life in Christ. The cross goes to the root and gives us clarity to the truth of our hearts. And it's a journey and I am so, so grateful for God's kindness and gentle patience with me as he continues to bring me more and more into the fullness of Christ in me, (coughs) working in me to get me ready to be part of the bride that Jesus is coming back for. Church, these are glorious thoughts, and if we pause to consider them, then we will recognise just how freeing his work of grace and mercy is in our life. Now let's go back and break down these scriptures from Mark. Verse 14, the farmer sows the word. The problem is not the seed, the problem is the soil. It's the same seed in each of the soils. Same word, and it's not that which is the problem. The problem is the soil it falls in. Okay, you all got that? Same seed in every soil. Verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. This is the only fruitless soil that the devil is responsible for in this parable. And I guess, sadly, we all know people who have fallen into that category. People who've been at meetings, people who have received the Lord, and then within a day, two days, just back in their old life again. Very sad. Keep praying for the ones that you know. Verse 16 and 17. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. No root. So what they hear has not had the chance to go down into their knowers and become established in their spirits and in their souls. It has not had a chance to become part of their lives. They have heard the word, but they have not applied it. They have not allowed the word to go down deep enough to hold them. That is why Jesus says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. It is so vital that when people give their life to the Lord, they are discipled into all truth. It's imperative someone gets alongside of new believers and builds relationship with them, teaches them, what a life in Christ really is. Yes, I know, Alan is doing a marvellous job getting alongside you, Malcolm. 
someone who teaches them to pray, teaches them how to study and apply the Bible, teaches them the power of praise and the beauty of worship, teaches them how the Holy Spirit works in their life. I personally believe, this is what I believe God is doing in this church right now in this season. I believe he is raising up people to be disciples. When the promised revival comes, people are going to need to build relationship with the new people. People are going to train them. Yes, it's exciting. I got saved in a revival. I know what it's like. It's exciting. But I believe I am where I'm at today because someone well, in fact, it was three different women at three different stages of my walk, with, early walk with the Lord, got alongside of me and nurtured me. And church, I believe God is asking of us, will you do this for me? Will you die to yourself and pick up the dear ones coming in who need to be discipled? And I'm telling you what, some of them are going to be as obnoxious as I was and as bad as you were when you were being discipled. Just saying, just putting it out there in case anyone's got this white, fluffy thought about what it's going to be like to disciple people. <coughs> and when they grow a little bit in the Lord, I'm telling you now, it's going to be worse. Have you seen that poster that says, hire a teenager while they still know everything? Yeah. <coughs> And it's important for us that we are not hearers only of the word, but that we take what we hear and apply it to our lives. If you only read your Bible each day to tick it off your to-do list and you don't take time to think on what you have read and how you can apply it to your life, then you have a very shallow root system. And when the storms hit, you will blow over doesn't mean you'll walk away from the Lord, but when the storms hit, we need to be able to stand. Turn back to the left a few pages or swipe to the left. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just said swipe to the left. Sorry. Hopefully nobody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> it isn't crude, just saying. But I'm not saying, oh, for goodness sake, get stop digging the hole, Jocelyn. Woo! Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. <clears throat> Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them in practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it felt like a great crash. <clears throat> Most of us, all of us, have been Christians for a long time, and so we know storms come and storms go. And we know whether we stand in the storm or whether we fold up. If you tend to fold up, can I encourage you, put the roots of the word down deeper into our lives. 
Now, careful what you say. Turn over pages to the right, back to Mark chapter 4. Verse 18. <coughs> Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Sadly, I believe this is the soil that most believers live in. Hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Let's break those three things down. <clears throat> the worries of this life. Jaffet spoke so well on this last Sunday. So how many of you have found themselves stressed or worried about something during this past week? Or did we all apply what we heard last Sunday and it's been a stress and worry-free week? Well, not here. I am really busy at the moment. I have had my house redecorated my house is a mess and I'm minimalistic. I don't function in a mess. I've got drawers everywhere. Praise God, Wade and Jaffet came yesterday and moved my furniture back in the house so today I can put the um, drawers back in, but I can't find anything. So this is happening on my personal level, <coughs> stressed out about my house being a mess. And then on the spiritual level, well, come on, Amber's out Two people at the back are on maternity leave. Um, people are sick and there's a lot that needs doing. And so I'm in a bit of a tizwas. And suddenly I paused and thought, you are like Martha this week. What is wrong with you? You are worried over many things. So I stopped, took authority over all these worry thoughts that were coming on and causing me to stress and be overwhelmed, gave them to God and got peace back again. You see, you sit here on a Sunday, and you think, oh, I don't worry. Oh, I know to do that. But I wonder when you're in the heat of it, how many actually do get worried and stressed. I'm sure I am not the only one sitting here today who is confessing or needs to confess that. That's why, you see, <coughs> Jaffet spoke. He brought this amazing message, and I remembered it last week. But not only did I sit down and get some peace and stop stressing about stuff, I actually got in touch with two people and said, I am in danger of being overwhelmed at the moment. Oh, I forgot to add into this that <coughs> my cousin's 26-year-old grandson has died suddenly in Sydney. And... Um, it's just a huge thing, and I've been asked to do the funeral. It's huge because they've had to bring the body back to New Zealand, and everybody is now in quarantine. So by the time the family has this funeral, the young man would have been dead for a month, and it's pretty tough on all of us who are involved in love. So this is not going to air. I am declaring this now. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so not only did I t 
take authority and do what Jaffet said. I contacted two people and I said, please pray for me for the next couple of weeks because I am in danger of being overwhelmed and I don't want to feel swamped. And then I just started singing one day at a time, sweet Jesus. But as long as the word of God is going into the soil of worry in our lives, it is not bearing fruit. The next one is the deceitfulness of wealth, which includes fear of lack, plus the priority of building wealth. People are so anxious about their money. I am not speaking irresponsibility with money either here. You know me well enough. Keep balanced in this. But Christians who have their trust in how much money they have in the bank or how many assets they have, have their hearts set on worldly things and not the things of God. Instead of their desires being on God and his kingdom, it is on themselves and their kingdom. Keep it in balance. Nowhere have I read in the Bible that it says to be wealthy is wrong. I know I've said this a few times lately, but we need to hear it. No Bible, no, the Bible says it's the love of money that is wrong, not having money. As long as you have the money and the money doesn't have you, you are okay. So keep your finger in Mark chapter 4 and flip back to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25, you will be very familiar with this scripture. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Um, They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? One of my friends loves to quote that to me. Well... (laughs) See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Listen, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Now get this right, people. Don't go seeking the kingdom of God because then he's going to dish out goodies to you because he knows your heart. He'll know if you're only doing it for that. He knows if you're just if you're after his presence or if you're after his presence. When you do come into the added to in your life, be very careful that you don't make these things that have been added to you your focus. And when you see other believers receiving the added to, know that they have done the seeking first and don't be jealous. You know, I have quite a few friends, Christian friends in my life right now who are presently living in the added two season of their life. Life's going well for them, new car, new houses, new stuff. But people are criticising them. I've heard criticisms back about they have a boat. But they people didn't see them when they were doing forced fasts because the week was longer than the budget. People didn't see them when they came, others, when they came back from the mission field, totally burnt out emotionally, spiritually and physically. You see, when people are in the added to season, God's adding to them, it's because they've been through the season of seeking him first, dying to self, putting their own desires to the side, going fully after God. And then his word says, I will add all these other things to you. So don't look and judge. Don't look and be jealous. Just keep seeking God for yourself and you too will have a season of added to. When God feels that you can handle what he wants. But an added to doesn't necessarily mean things. Added to your power, your anointing. Added to your area of influence. Seek him. Trust him for your supply. God's job, or our job is to die to self and seek his kingdom first. God's job is to add all these things in his time. You know, it's no use coming here on a Sunday and singing Waymaker. What a fabulous song that is. Yeah, he is our way maker. And it's no use coming here and singing that on a Sunday morning and then Sunday afternoon God tells you to do something, he's making a way, and you don't do it because it's not going to work. If you're calling him your way maker and wanting what he wants for your life, you actually have to die to self and do what he wants you to do. Oh, thank you. I'm pleased someone's listening and agreeing. Right, Mark chapter 4, verse 19. The last description in the soil of thorns is the desires for other things. Well, this is a sneaky one. We often don't recognise these until the Holy Spirit shines his light on it. Are there any desires that have come into your life, into your thinking, into your values that are choking out the word of God. You know, one of the speakers at our pastor's refresher spoke for some time on the power of celibacy and that some people are called to be single and um, I found it quite comforting, to be honest. It's like when we would come home on furlough from the mission field, 
we'd say, you know, to guys who we knew had a call on their lives to go, why are you still here? And they say, we're waiting for God to give us a wife so we can go out there with a wife. But out on the mission field are all these single women and they always saying, where are the husbands? Where are the husbands? They're back home waiting for a wife. Their desire is to have a wife and that might not be what God is saying. I don't know if someone needs to hear that today. I don't, it's fine. <laughs> oh. What about a desire for acceptance? What about a desire to be noticed, to be popular, to be successful? What about a desire to get retribution on someone who has offended you? What if you're waiting for God to pay them back for what they've done to you? That desire will choke your fruitfulness. And can I just say, just because you have been offended doesn't mean you were right. Just saying. Are there desires that cause you to spend foolishly both of your time and your money? Dying to yourself means to forego the selfish, physical and egotistical desires of this world and wholeheartedly seek the kingdom of God. And as I'm speaking this morning, I'm guessing a lot of you will be thinking, oh, well, no, that's me, I'm fully after God. But can I ask you to seriously go back to that third soil and invite the Holy Spirit to show you if there are any thorns in your life, any hooks of those three things listed there, because that is the soil that most believers live in. So how do we get rid of the rocks, thorns, weeds in the soil of our heart so that we can become the good soil that produces an abundant crop? Mark 4 verse 20. Others like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop 30, 60 or even 100 times what was sown. It sounds simple and it can be. But first, we truly need to recognise that we have to apply the word to our lives. Not just read it, not just sing it, apply it. We have to really, truly believe that God is good and his ways are perfect, even when it doesn't feel like it. My gosh, Ali Graney's testimony at the Flourish um, event for women really spoke about how she had to push through in that area. We need to know these truths in our knowers. <coughs> Jesus makes the how very clear in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. <coughs> Jesus speaking. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In this passage, Jesus is teaching and describing what it means to be a disciple. He is not saying you have to be against your parents, your children, your in-laws. That's not what he's saying. I have spoken on this before. You know that that's not what he is saying. But what he is saying, your natural family cannot come before his family, before him, before his kingdom. And I know probably there's been people here who have had to do it, but I have had to go against my family's wishes many times. John had an amazingly paid job. They didn't want us to go to Bible school. How irresponsible were we dragging our kids off? Blah, 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 blah. We really got hit with that one. And then, of course, they certainly didn't want us to go to India. Some of my extended family threw really horrible comments at me when we were going to India about being irresponsible and stuff. But still... We knew God had called us and still we went. Now, saying these things here, it doesn't sound big deal, but I'm telling you, it is big deal. It is big deal when you're actually having to stand up against your family, who you love and who you respect. It's only natural that your family want to protect you, your flesh, your personhood, but you can't let them. God is the one who protects you. My mother didn't want me to pick up this position of leading this church because she saw what happened to the pastor of her church with the criticism that came against him. And she didn't want that for me. And you know what? That is something I had to work through, people's disapproval of me. People who have this whole list of things that they think, this is, sorry, I hope this isn't coming across condemning. It's not meant to be. I'm using it as an example. See, a list of things that they thought I should be doing. But if I did everything that everybody in the church thought I should be doing, I wouldn't have time to do what God has called me to do. And that's the reality, people. You have to know what God has called you to do, because if you don't, other people will fill the agenda and tell you what you should be doing. Oh, my gosh. At some point... <coughs> In following God, we must take up our cross. At some point in our Christian walk, as Japheth was saying when we were in worship this morning, at some point we must come before God and say, no matter what, 
I will put you before myself. I will put you before my family. I will put you before other people's opinions. I will listen to you. And church, it's a daily day of, it's a daily thing to pick up your cross. For Jesus, it was a once for all. But sadly for us, it's not. Because today, we might have to crucify this bit of flesh. But hey, tomorrow, some of our flesh will still be alive and well. And we will have to crucify that too. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you aware when you are acting in your flesh instead of in the Spirit of God. And kill it. Just make the choice. I'm not doing that. Just like when I was worrying during the week. Why am I living in that? I am not living in that. that that's my flesh. You know, dead people don't worry. Well, at least I don't think they do. I don't know what's going on down there. I haven't been down there yet. But they don't. So if you're worrying, if you're desiring other things, just think, well... Dead people don't do this, and I'm dead to me and alive in Christ. It is such an amazing place to be alive in Christ, but you will never know how amazing it is unless you die to yourself, unless you die to your flesh, unless you just take authority over all that stuff that would drag you away from God and from his kingdom. I think that's enough for this morning. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know you all all know this, but we all need to be reminded our flesh is alive and well. Our flesh tries to dictate to us every day and we have to not just push it to the side, we have to kill it and say, no longer, no longer have you a place in my life. Amen.